business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. One hundred one point nine High FM. It's the Avion Money Show. Thanks so much for joining me. And today is a really great show because I can remember almost exactly where I was standing when our whole financial planning paradigm changed. Remember when I joined the industry in two thousand and three? Fifty-five was retirement age. That's what you planned to. You planned to fifty-five. And if you sold somebody a policy where the retirement age was beyond fifty-five. You almost call to hold over the coals as an ethical dilemma as to why you're making retirement beyond 55. And then I almost remember exactly where I was standing, where the reality hit that 55 just doesn't cut it anymore. And 65 is a must probably a more realistic retirement age. And I remember the was almost a push factor rather than a pull factor in the fact that clients were turning around to us and saying, I just haven't saved enough. And together with that, I need to keep working, never mind saving. I can't afford to get through two or three months without working on what I've got saved already. So for the next 10 years, I'm happy to work. I'm healthy. I'm with it. And that was really a fundamental change. And then the law changed where retirement, you know, according to retirement annuities, the law was 70, maybe 75 where policies had to be converted. And all of a sudden, they didn't need to be converted. They could be left open-ended. And all that really had to do with two effects. Number one, people were living longer. And number two, people needed more money because of that and because of inflation. But that's not really my topic to discuss. Mm-hmm. On the line with me is Martin Pino, who is the CEO at the Digital Marketing Academy, MindWorks. Martin, welcome to Chai FM. Thanks so much, Avi, and, and hello to your listeners. Great. So I, I upgraded you, the Chief Operating Officer. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> well, I'm happy to see that you, uh, you're happy to, to take the baton and run with it. Martin, let's, let's get straight into it. You guys are in the business of making sure that there's a supply for the workforce and that there's yep. qualified and skilled people to fill positions. How are you finding this change where all of a sudden 60 is no longer old? Yeah, I, I think let's, let's first agree with, with all of your listeners that we are living healthier and longer lives. I mean, just going back, if you're born around about in the last 10 or 15 years in the, in the wealthy world, you've got a greater than 50% chance of becoming 105 years old. Now, if you go back just you know, 100 years, there was a 1% chance that you get to 100 years old. Um, so just in one sort of generation, in one you know, generation, we've actually doubled life expectancy. You know, less infant mortality, less people dying in car and airplane accidents, uh, less people dying in wars. It's just, and it doesn't really matter if you're living in Hong Kong where your life expectancy is 85 or you're living in Chad where your life expectancy is 51. In every country on earth, life expectancy has grown. So it doesn't matter what the base was, you're now going to live longer no matter where you are. So I think that's significant. So we can't say, oh, yeah, but we're in Africa. So even you know, in, in the darkest 
places in Africa with, where, where life expectancy is relatively low, that life expectancy is growing. So, so there's nobody on earth that doesn't have to prepare for a longer life. Um, Martin, maybe just on that point, you know, it might sound strange to younger people, but we are most probably living in the most peaceful period of modern history than that, that, that anybody can remember. Last century, we had two world wars. We had a Vietnam, we had a Korean war, we had a Gulf war. We had all that sort of nonsense. Prior to that, the world was just killing each other on an ongoing basis, almost for sport. And I'm not trivializing it, but war was just the norm. And a massive migration of people across Europe was just what happened. And today, you know, there are problems, you're not denying it, but the chances of you and I getting caught in a war, unless we go looking for it, very But there's also, there's lots of wars going on, but we're not losing tens of millions of people yes. like we did in the wars that you've described. Correct. Uh, you know, it's a drone, um, you know, targeting a very specific target um, and specifically trying to avoid, you know, civil, you know, civilian casualties around that. So. So, so definitely, you know, war. I mean, just think of the advent of ABS brakes and, and airbags in cars and how much that's changed. You know, safety belts, uh, headrests have changed safety. So, so we're going to be living longer. And now, having agreed that, we've got to agree, is this a blessing or a curse? Because, you know, if, you, if you've planned, as you say, for retirement at 55, and you're now going to live for 75 years or 80 years or 90 years, um, are you going to have the skills required to carry on working? Will you have saved enough money? Is your health, both your mental and physical health, in good shape? Because you know, if it's not, you're not going to be able to work you know, at the age of 70 or 80 years old. Uh, and then what's the quality of your relationships? Because you know, when the, what people have seen uh, now is that in the younger generation, divorce rates have dropped quite significantly. Why? Because people are getting married later. So they found what they want in life prior to getting married. And that soulmate actually now is a soulmate. And it's not someone that's chosen you know, at the age of 14 or 18. On the other end of the scale, 60 years and above, the divorce rates have soared. You know, I think previously, when you, know, you thought you were going to die at 65, and you were sitting with somebody at the age of 60, and your kids have now left home, you know, what's five years? I'll hang it out with this person. Whereas if you've got the prospect of lasting another 30 or 40 years, it's over. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going to put up with this nonsense any longer. So, so the quality of our relationships is also going to make a big difference um, you know, in, in how we manage these extra years that we've got. Martin, it's such a fascinating thought because if you just take the finance out of it, you know, I remember very clearly when I was a kid, we went to school or I went with my family to visit the old age home or I happened to be there. And I met somebody who was 70 years old. And I thought like, my goodness, this is really old. And the person was old. Uh, I, I look, you know, at my own family who's in the late 70s, early 80s, driving around, getting around, being mobile, being healthy, being able to do things. That didn't really exist a while ago. And that great just creates a whole new dynamic of a really joyous life. But together with it, other prospects have come into it. When, when we look at the workplace, you know, let me just take myself, for example, I, I moved to a new country just over a year ago, and just chatting to people, I very gratefully didn't need to look for a job because I'm very happy with my career in South Africa and I was able to keep it. You know, people have major problems. It's in, how do we come into the workplace 
in the autumn of our normal South African career in our 50s, maybe late 50s, now we've got to compete with local youngsters who don't have a language issue, understand the culture, don't have the experience, but are very easily, you know, they can able to learn on their feet. It's almost a real challenge to find new positions and usually come up with a maverick idea. And I suppose it's similar in the existing workplace in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think let, let's take a step back. So, you know, previously you would have a three-stage kind of life. You'd have your early life, which would be largely based on education. So you'd make, you, might, you might go to school for 12 years and then to university for four years. So for the first 20 or so years of your life, that was all about growing your skill set. Then you'd hit the job market and you'd work for 40 years and then you'd retire at the age of 60. And then you'd have a, a blissful retirement for five or 10 or 15 years. So that three-stage life um, is, you know, we have to look at that again and say, you know, is it possible that in this new world that we're living in, we're going to, let's say we're going to live to be 100, that you'll still study for 20 years, then you're going to work for what, 70 years, and then have a, you know, 10 or 15 year retirement. Um, you know, just the prospect of 70 years of nonstop grind, you know, in your, in your role is, is kind of, I, I just think, exhausting and, and, and unappealing, frankly. Um, and you might not have the energy to do that. And, and more importantly, you might not have the skills to do that. So I, I don't think it's possible to just lengthen the working cycle. So I think what we have to envisage is a career that's much more kind of less linear and, and that there will definitely have to be spaces in that work time when you will have to recreate yourself and recreate your skill set, um, learn new things. Um, and, and what we're advocating is, is that you keep your skills up to date at all times and not leave big chunks of, of your career without updating your skills, because I think the world is moving so fast now. Before we go there, I want to come back to the skills, okay, but we need to take a quick break, otherwise Craig gets upset with us. Craig, <laughs> take us to the shops. We'll come back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Martin, I really wanted to pick up that point that you that you made before, because just to read it out, it was so nicely put. We used to view life as three distinct phases, study, work, retire. Today, we need to put study and work together and accept that learning will be lifelong. We will have to turn some recreation time into, into creation time and to brush up on skills and learn new ones as our roles evolve and change. You know, I was thinking as I read that yesterday afternoon, I was in the lawyer's office in, in downtown Tel Aviv, and there was an older lady um, who had to give us something, but she had to go on to receipt it and print out. And she was quite afraid with the system, but then the youngster walked in and without even looking at the computer, was sort of just guiding her through the process, coaching her through it. She would have done it on her own, but. The, she was just so much more comfortable with it. Mm. And I thought like, wow, well done. You're a lady, maybe in your 60s, if not a little bit older. You've upskilled. When you started working as a professional PA or secretary, computers weren't even thought of. But when they came in, you must probably got away without using one. Today, you just can't cope without it. And it's the same thing, I suppose, with us. Those of us who are used to doing what it's all about. I remember the first Zoom interview I ever did. Mm. I had my wife standing next to me in the shadows, guiding me through the process. And then when she walked out the room and the client was on the screen, I almost felt like totally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into the kitchen 20 minutes later and saying, 
I'm never going to drive to a client again. Yeah. I have to save two hours in travel time. And the meeting took 20 minutes, not an hour, because no one ob felt obligated to talk nonsense just because I made an effort to get there. And to serve coffee yeah. and to have niceties and exactly. work your way through security and all sorts of... <laughs> Find your wallet with your, with, your pass, with your driver's license so they can scan it, etc. Yeah. But I mean, you make a great point because you, know, you spoke about a younger person assisting or mentoring an older person in maybe a, a specific technology. Um, but one of the, the things we're going to have to deal with in this in this hundred year life with a longer working career is we're going to have multiple generations in the in the workplace at any point in time. So you might, you know, it's quite conceivable you could have a seventy five year old and a twenty two year old working in the same organisation. So where we had two generations at, at max uh, at previously, you maybe a boomer and a gen x now you could have a boomer a gen x a gen y a gen z you know all working in the same workplace and you know with different different ways of working different skill sets you know so you know each one has something valuable to bring to the party um, and if you can create an organization where where you can leverage off the you know the the, the strength that the different generations bring to that workplace you could have a really diverse uh, and productive workplace so Martin, you've obviously hit a, a, a raw nerve here because a lot of messages are coming through. Um, the one you have from Tabiso says, this sounds all good and well in theory. I'm a professional at age 27. The last thing I need is a 75 year old telling me how it was done in the past. I need to work with people who know how it's done now. But can I you see the prejudices? Yes. So Already coming uh, through. So 75-year-olds are not renewing their skills. They're not staying up to date. They're not, um, you know, fluid and, and flexible in their work approach. So that's that, these are the, the kinds of biases. And likewise, the 75-year-old will be dealing with, you know, this guy wants to get promoted every six months and he wants to earn what the CEO earns. And, you know, so, so different, different generations have different views on each other. And if we can't be more accommodating, if we can't be more open uh, to, to change and to having, you know, and, and the fact that, that older people can learn new tricks and that younger people can be responsible. And, you know, if we can find that, that organization that actually blends those together, I think we're gonna have a much more productive organization going forward. So Martin, as the professional in this area, let me maybe stick my neck out and, and be a little bit controversial. If you've got a young startup that's running, it's been up and going for a couple of years, it's already generating mm -hmm. profits, they, I'm sure have their doors being kicked down by youngsters wanting to come in. At the same time, Martin Pinar meets with them and says, you know, I've got a whole suite of experienced people who are seniors who are Phil can also add value to you. And they look at yeah. you and they say, but why? Why should we take these, I don't use reskilled people? Are they going to add as much value as a youngster? We're a tech company. What do I need a 70-year-old for? And I know I'm sounding really controversial, but I just want to turn the whole theory on its head and then hear from you what the practical application is. No, I think let's, let's think about older people. Um, you know, they've dealt with problems before and they're going to see those problems happening again. You know, history tends to repeat itself. So they're going to bring experience to the table. Um, they probably got higher levels of emotional maturity by that point in time. They're probably their egos are probably less uh, need less fanning than a younger person do. Um, so there's all sorts of benefits that age brings. You know, if I think about relationships that I've been in for a long time, you know, the rough edges wear off, and you know things just work. 
Um, so there's lots of benefits that, that older people bring. Younger people are much more nimble with technology. They, you know, they, they acquire new technologies easier. Uh, they forget technologies and, and, uh, and pick up new ones easier. Um, so then, you know, if I think of, you know, of an investment firm, you know, I'd much rather uh, be investing with someone that's been through you know, a couple of financial crises and understand what the patterns are you know, in those crises than a new person that's just walked out of university, no matter how well he performed uh, or she performed you know, as a quantitative analyst. I'm going to err on the side of experience when it's, when it's my, you know, my financial well-being that's being looked after. Um, so I think, once again, just a combination of the skills. And you know, we, we, I think corporates are going to have to move along a path because you know, we're, we have a recruitment business and we place senior people into organizations. And there's definitely ageism, just like your, your listener you know, raised an issue of ageism a few minutes ago. Corporations likewise don't want to. If I put a CV of a, of a 70 year old forward, that CV is never going to see the light of day in, you know, in one of the big banks or the big insurance companies today. Um, and yet there's so much talent, uh, so much skill and experience sitting in that pool that you know, we'd be, as, a, as an economy, be wasting an opportunity not to leverage those, that, that talent. Martin, on that note, uh, someone else has just sent a message, but I actually just made a note of it as you were talking. Something I deal with all the time is this wonderful term, mandatory retirement. You hit 63, you turn into a pumpkin, regardless of how well you performed or how important your duties are. Um, I've just had a, a very good friend who was retired as a very, very senior person in a, in a government agency um, and left knowing that he had left a vacuum because, you know, due to politics, mainly there wasn't really an ability to fill it. Um, he moved country and all of a sudden he's been brought back to, you know, to be there. And he knows that it's not a six months contract. It's a never ending contract. And he's holding all the Trump cards. Um, but why do we still have retirement, mandatory retirement, if we now in this new age? I just think that, that governments move slowly. So the people that make the pension fund and the provident fund rules are not moving at the speed and I guess it's a bit like the frog in the pot uh, example. You know, if if this thing happened suddenly, if suddenly our, our working life went from, you know, from a retirement at 55 to retirement at, at 80, that, you know, we, everyone would, you know, there'd be an emergency to make the changes that are required. But because life expectancy has been growing by a year at a time, it's happening so slowly that what we don't realize is that, you know, 15 or 20 years have gone by since we last looked at, you know, how long people are living for. Uh, and suddenly we've got a problem because, you know, now it's, it's 85 in Hong Kong, you know, you know, you know, a whole bunch of people living to over 100 in Japan in the UK. So it's happened slowly. And as a result, you know, the regulatory bodies, the corporations haven't updated their rules. Maybe, you know, just to defend the, uh, the government on this one, they mm -hmm. did try to bring in reform a year and a half, like two years ago. And the backlash, especially from Kasatu, was so powerful mm. that they almost had to step back. A few rules changed behind it. But if you look at it back with the with the you know the advantage of hindsight and time, is that it all had to do with the distrust of government. Government's changing the way pension funds run, and therefore we don't trust them because they're going to pull for our funds. And therefore there was reticence over there. Whereas I was so pro those changes because it just made retiring later so much better. 
But Martin, again, as, as always, we start running out of time and something that you've mentioned here, which was absolutely fascinating to me to read, because it's something that I had heard about in South Africa, but only seen actually practically implemented here in Israel. And that's the concept of sabbatical. Mm. Um, and so maybe just to share, we've got a friend that we've met here who's been a teacher in the government system for the last, I don't know how many years. And currently she's on a paid sabbatical. And my wife as a teacher just listened to this with a sense of incredulity. Like, how can it work? You're on full salary. You paid to go away. On those away times, you can take your spouse, but you need to attend certain courses. And they're not onerous, like three hours of this, that, and the other. And when you speak to this lady, all she says is that by the time I get back into the workspace, I will be, number one, I'll be recharged. Number two, I'll be reskilled. I'm doing things now they would never have time to do during my working career. And by the time they dump me back into the classroom or into the admin position, I'm a whole new skill set. And that's exactly what you said here. How important are sabbaticals in a corporate career? I think critical. You know, if you're going to be working for 60 or 70 years, there's no ways you're going to have that energy unless you've had breaks. So you need to recharge your batteries. Uh, and as you say, you need to learn new skills. So uh, definitely one way that you're going to build those skills is by taking some of your recreation time and make it into recreation time. So with the apostrophe uh, and use that recreation time to learn a new skill, to update yourself, to get on top of where the world's going. I, I, my, the example I always roll out is Chris Becker. You know, in his Nasparas days, Every 10, 10 or 15 years, he would take a sabbatical. And in each case, he went and studied, you know, what was happening in China, what was happening in Russia. He bought internet companies. He bought mobile companies. And, and each time he did that, Nasper benefited from a massive uplift. Um, and in, in some of those cases, the value of the, of the entire business is greater you know, from, from those investments made during those sabbaticals or resulting from the sabbaticals than from the normal flow of business. So, you know, how do you, how do you take your, yourself out of the day-to-day, -day, the administrative, the grind? You know, if you work in a regulated business, your dealings with the regulators will be taking up significantly more time now than they did 20 years ago. So if you can't remove yourself from that detail, you're not going to see the next big thing coming. And I just think there's so many ways of improving skill sets now, you know, online universities. Um, there's very little skill that you can't achieve um, in your own time, you know, sitting potentially on, a, on, a, on a, a, an island somewhere uh, remotely, uh, away from the hustle and bustle of your daily life. And, and I think, you know, corporations should be encouraging all of their staff you know, after a certain period of tenure, once, you know, once you've put in the hard yards for a decade or more, you know, surely that's the time to you know, take a couple of months out, take a year out, and then you know, and come back with a, with a whole new energy and a whole new set of skills. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds nice in theory, but I think practically we've often seen CEOs and people like that staying in position for year after year after year and innovation coming out. I suppose it depends on the person, on the individual, and what they've created and what they've built going forward. But Martin, just before I let you go, ultimately, when it comes to retirement, retirement, we know that it's a minuscule percentage of South Africans that can afford to retire at the predetermined age, 
and live at the lifestyle that they're currently living. And that's a factor of two major things. Number one, not saving enough. Yeah. And number two, inflation. You know, we, we're getting safely about 6 7% on our money a year, whereas medical inflation, take corona out of the picture, is running at over 10 So your medical aid outstripping your savings by 3%. Fuel's gone through the ceiling. Electricity, for what it was five years ago to what it is today, it's a different world. Yes, you can save, but it's a major capital input in order to do that. What would your... Um, general advice be to people who are of the realization that they're sort of they've got a lot more runway left and they've got money left and they're happy to work what should they be doing now so i mean the, the first thing that probably the, the most significant change that anybody could make is to be in a in a significant relationship with another person that's earning uh, so there's no better way uh, than having two revenues contributing to one household uh, to making uh, ends meet. So you, know, you can get by with a whole lot less savings if there's two of you contributing to that pot. So I would say you know, definitely look at the quality of your relationships because on the other end of that scale, divorce can be devastating. You might have thought you had enough um, you know, for one household to retire on, but once you split that into two households, uh, that changes the, the cost dynamics enormously. Uh, secondly, just prepare to work longer. You, you, you're not going to retire at 55, you're going to work sometime longer than that, which means that you've got to have skills that, that corporations value or that you can start your own business with and sell those skills to someone else. So you're going to have to have skills and then you're going to need energy. So we all have to look at you know, how much we're sleeping, whether we're meditating or not, what we're eating, how much exercise we're getting, because if we're not healthy, um, we're not going to be able to work. So that's going to contribute negatively. Um, and then I think we all just need to be a lot more uh, involved in our financial management. We can't outsource that to some broker and hope that he's going to do a good job. We need to actively manage uh, our retirement funding and make sure that we're um, in the right pools, that we are investing in, you know, in, in assets that are showing growth in markets, you know, in the right markets, in the right industries, um, and in the right stocks in those industries. And then obviously having a, you know, a risk-balanced portfolio is, is really critical. Well, just before I let you go, I know I'm, I'm running out of time here. You mentioned eating well and sleeping well, the, the lifestyle factors. Mm. As a professional um, involved in corporate careers, is that really a factor? There's no in my mind. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody's got low energy levels or is constantly ill, that's going to affect their ability to find work uh, negatively. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, in this world that we're living in, reputation is really, really key. Um, you know, your reputation stays with you for, for long periods of time. You know, if you, you know, if you utter a racist outburst on a beach uh, and happen to film that and it goes viral, you know, how do you come back from that? Um, if you spill, you know, record the conversation with your mistress and send it to your street group instead of to your attorney, um, you know, your reputation is going to suffer from that. So, so building a good reputation is, is much about what you say and utter in public as how you perform in the workplace. I mean, I was shocked when I turned 55 last week when my financial advice is, and now you can retire from your RAs. I thought, you know, there's no ways. I'm, I'm too vital and I'm, you know, I've, I've got so much more. So it's not just about being able to afford to retire. It's about doing things that are interesting to you. And, you know, I, I think what will happen in these longer careers is that we won't do the same job. You, you won't stay in your legal career, career for your whole life. You might move into something else. 
you, you might get to a point where you say, I'm not ready to retire completely, but I'd like to go into teaching now. And I'll spend the next 20 years of my life earning substantially less than I did, but still not eating into my retirement funding to the extent that I would have if I was uh, just, just sitting still in, on my couch. Interesting. Martin, how do people get hold of you? Um, I'm Martin P at MindWorks with an X dot CO dot ZA. Fantastic. As always, thank you so much for your time. Have a good to see you again. of the best. Ride safe and we'll be in touch. Right back at you and to your listeners too. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody. We'll be with you next week.